Well, while we were in Texas at our previous ministry, we had uh, a number of folks that would come in and out in that ministry and would serve in different capacities. And uh, one of the uh, one of the great things about the church we had out there is that they had this uh, this singles singles house, and they had a bunch of single ladies that would come from various colleges, and they would come and help with uh, the uh, the school, and they would help with the ministry, and they all lived under one house. They all had their own different rooms and things like that, and we'd help them move in and out and things, and, uh, and uh, I remember there was this one girl, she came from California, and uh, very quickly befriended my wife, and, and the two of them uh, were talking and things like that, and, and uh, lo and behold, we came to find out some information about this young lady, and uh, she, uh, ha- she just seemed a little paranoid sometimes. She always needed to lock her doors, she always needed to uh, just kind of always watch her back and things like that, and uh, she moved into this house, and she immediately told all the other girls, she said, uh, all I need from this house is I need a room that has a lock on it. And she was very adamant about that. And uh, some of the other ladies would, would think that was kind of weird. And uh, what's up with her? Why does she need a, a room uh, with a lock? The front door locks. We're all, we're all safe here. It's okay. Uh, no need to worry. And, and she said, well, just trust me. Just trust me if you would. Uh, as I get to know you, I'll probably open up and share some stories and things uh, of what has happened. And, and, uh, and so, uh, lo and behold, as my wife and her conversed a little bit more and they got to know each other, all of a sudden she began to open up as to why. She was so paranoid about her, her, her locks and her doors. And she told the story, and she said that she, while she was living in California, she uh, had a, a beautiful room, and she had a closet and, and everything like that, and, and she would uh, go in and out. One day, she opened up her closet door and went to grab some shoes, and all of a sudden, she's going through her shoes and finds a pair of shoes that were not hers. And she follows her eyes up from those shoes, leads the legs, and all the way up leads to a face of a man in her closet. And she ran out of there. They call the police. Police come running in, arrest this gentleman, take him out. They had no clue how long he had been living in her closet, but she, she had an intruder in her close quarters, in her closet of her bedroom. And no wonder, right? No wonder we understand now why she's so paranoid, why she needs that lock. Because there was somebody that was in there that should not have been in there in the first place. And my friend, tonight I share this illustration because there are things in our lives that should not have place in the household of our heart. And it's called sin. And as we understand this concept and as we think about this illustration and we see how, uh, how there is somebody that's dwelling in there and all of a sudden she, she's going crazy and all of a sudden she, she's making sure that uh, from then on she's always checking her closet. She's always making sure her door, doors are locked. She's always making sure that who's supposed to be in her house is in her house. My friend, we need to have the same diligence, the same urgency to check the closets and the rooms of our heart to make sure that there isn't sin that is living there with costly intentions. The title of my message tonight is Not in My House. Not in My House. I implore all of us tonight to evaluate the rooms and the closets of our heart and see if sin has taken residence in our heart. 
Sin is a nasty creature. It can be bold and brash, but yet also petite and sly. In case you've forgotten, sin impacts us in many ways. Sin hurts us spiritually. You'll understand that in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve fell into that first sin, it separated them. They no longer had a relationship with God. He could no longer walk with them in the cool of the day. There was a separation that took place. They were hurt spiritually because of sin. But sin not only hurts us spiritually, it hurts us bodily. We know that uh, for as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All of us one day have an impending death ahead of us. We will shed this mortal body, and uh, sin is the reason for that death. Sin hurts us emotionally, it hurts us spiritually, bodily, emotionally, it hurts us mentally, it hurts us relationally, and finally here, it hurts our destiny. Sin will change your destiny. It will not get you to the place that you should be at. It will rob you of joy, it will destroy you, it will separate you from your friends, it will separate you from your family. Sin hurts. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ redeems us and rescues us from the toils of sin. While sin hurts, the Savior heals. The Savior heals us spiritually. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Savior heals us bodily. Uh, Philippians uh, 3.21 Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto the glorious body, according uh, to the working whereby He is able to subdue all things unto Himself. One day we're going to shed this mortal body, but that's not going to be the end. He's going to give us a new body, a glorified body, where finally the pain of sin and death will be shed forevermore. But the Savior heals us emotionally. 2 Corinthians 1.3 Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all Comfort. The Savior heals us mentally. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The Savior heals us relationally. John 13.34 and 35 A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love One to another. And finally here, the Savior heals our destiny. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Such a stark contrast. Sin on one end, offering destruction. But the Savior on the other, that offers deliverance and healing. But many times in our life, we do not run to the Savior Instead, we fall prey to sin. So many of us fall prey to the traps of sin when temptation knocks on our door. Sometimes we simply just kneel to the ground in defeat. As if the fight against temptation is not a fight worth taking. Many times our desensitizing of sin is because of an insensitivity towards the Savior. In the book of Romans, Paul reveals how Christ has a systematic plan to redeem mankind from the bondage of sin. To take a quick overview of the book of Romans, uh, Romans is, uh, is a, a vastly profound book. It's an amazing book as you study it. And the more you get into it, 
You find in chapters 1 through 5, Paul almost exclusively talks about justification. You might say, well, what's justification? Justification is that moment of salvation. The moment where we pray and we accept Jesus Christ to be our personal Lord and Savior. And we no longer are looked on as sinners, but rather we are declared righteous before a holy God. Chapters 1 through 5, he describes the work Christ has done for us. But we turn to chapter 6 and he declares the work God is doing in us. You see, my friend, salvation does not just start and end with the moment we accept Christ to be our personal Lord and Savior. But then, after we pray and accept Christ, God is now removing the sin and the actions within us. And then finally, as I've already mentioned about the shedding of our body, that will one day remove the the sin from us and we will have a new body we will no longer be servants of sin we will no longer have sin's dominion over us sin's power over us we will finally be uh, be all pardoned from from sin and eradicated from sin wholly and I'm thankful for God's plan that he has a systematic plan to work sin completely out of us so look with me at verse number one With all that being said, as the Apostle Paul is talking about justification and the great work that God is doing, has done, rather, through our salvation, we see here that he poses a question. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? After all that Paul has described about Christ, after all the magnificence, His holiness, His power, His payment over the penalty of sin and our eternal security, what can we possibly say but hallelujah for our salvation? Praise the Lord! He saved me! But yet, in chapter 6, it's as if we turn our back to all of that. We say, that's great, but i got sin I want to get involved in. I have things that I want to do. And so, in, uh, in, this, in this chapter here, uh, we see that Paul is now trying to help us to see that there is more work to be done. God's Word shows us the penalty of sin is removed through our justification, but the power of sin is still very much present. Is it not? You may have friends. You may have family. You may have co-workers that you know are under the bondage of sin today. They have drugs that they cannot shed. They have alcoholism that they cannot shed. They have uh, 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 immorality that they just cannot shed. The power of sin is great. The hooks of sin are deep within them. All across America, saved and unsaved people are under the gripping power of sin, entangled and chained by this cruel master. In chapter 6, Paul is going to use some comparisons that were common to the people in Rome to help illustrate this point of being a servant of God rather than a servant to sin. Let's look at these three important reminders that will help us have victory over sin. Look with me in verse number 3. Very first point tonight, the reminder of identification. The reminder of identification. Verse number 3, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized unto His death. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death. That like, as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, 
even so we also should walk in newness of life. It was, uh, it was not uncommon back in those days. I want you to kind of, just for a moment, just to make sure that we're all following here. I want you to just may, change your mindset, change your perspective of not just being an uh, American Christian, but imagine yourself 2,000 years ago in Rome. You're in a church in Rome. That's your culture. That's the things you know. And Paul is writing specifically to you. It was not uncommon for people in Rome to identify as being Roman. And we understand that in Scripture. In fact, Paul the Apostle would use his Roman card to receive benefits and and favors in Acts chapter 6, verse number 37. Uh, And and so in America, uh, today, we still like to identify with things, do we not? Right? We have individuals, probably even here tonight, you came in and you have a a, a favorite sports uh, team that you identify with. You wear that. You purchase uh, 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 clothing, you purchase tickets, you spend time, you identify with that team. How about this? Some of us have a favorite show that we like to identify with, right? Uh, we share it all over social media, and uh, we, we share our jobs. We try to identify with people that have a similar job to us. Uh, we also identify with our friends, the types of friends we have. How about this? The city that we live in. I'm from Greenwich. I'm from Stratford. I'm from Bridgeport. Sometimes bonds are made simply by identifying where we are located. Uh, we identify with our political party. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. And you know, how about all this? All of those things that we identify with, we can identify with on our Facebook pages. Right underneath our profile, we can list all the different things we identify with. The types of friends, the sports teams we follow, our job. All of that is under there. And that is, uh, no doubt, um, uh, put in there so that you can feel connected with different people. And identification labels us. It connects us and it opens a door uh, for acceptance. But not only this, it causes us to do things. Right? We have fanatics uh, that, that like the, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs or like the Philadelphia Eagles. And don't get me started on the Philadelphia Eagles, okay? Uh, not, not a, uh, I'm from Philly, but never was a big part of what they do because they got some crazy, crazy folks down there. But, uh, but uh, uh, anyway, I say all that to say this. Listen, uh, their team getting to the Super Bowl, they do some crazy things. I saw not too long ago they had to the grease the poles, uh, uh, the, uh, the light poles and things in Philadelphia because if the Eagles won, the city was going to burn down pretty much. Okay, uh, so they had to they do crazy things. Why? Because they identify with a team. The word baptize, as we find here in verses three and four, the word baptize refers to our identification in Christ. According to these verses, we identify with two things: we identify with His death. And his resurrection. Much as, uh, as we talk about baptism, I don't believe this passage of scripture necessarily talks about water baptism. I believe it's a more spiritual baptism. But nonetheless, just as, as the, the water baptism here identifies with, uh, uh, Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection, we're identifying outwardly the inward decision that we have made. Now, baptizing now, this baptism that, that uh, Paul is talking about here is, a, a uh, as I mentioned, we're identifying with two distinct things. His death, first of all. We find in verse number 6, the old man is dead. Look here. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified 
crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Our sins are put away. Just as Christ's body was buried, it was put away. Uh, we need to put our bodies away. We need to put our old man, the sinful man, the things we used to do, right? You don't do them anymore, the great song uh, 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 that our children sing. We need to put that away and no longer have a part in it. There are many people in my life that have passed on into heaven. And I miss them greatly. One of the greatest ones would perhaps be uh, my uncle. My uncle Harry, he took me uh, to my to one of my first uh, sporting events. He took me to uh, he took me to a hockey game, and not any hockey game. He took me to the Stanley Cup Finals when the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins were in there, and boy, I enjoyed it. It was an atmosphere unlike any other, and I just more importantly, I just enjoyed the fellowship that I had with him. And uh, he passed away here probably about a year and a half ago, and boy, I miss him. But there was nothing, no amount of hurt, no amount of, uh, of sorrow within me that would cause me to go to his graveside and pull him back up. That's a morbid thought, right? What the Bible is telling us here is that when we got saved, we were to crucify, we were to crucify, we were to identify with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Those things were supposed to be dead. Those things were supposed to be put away. Those things were supposed to have no more place here in our bodies. Our new bodies. Not only do we identify with death, but we also identify with His resurrection. His resurrection gives us new life. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You no longer have to identify yourself as an alcoholic. You no longer have to identify yourself as, uh, as somebody getting involved in immorality. You no longer have to identify in the sins of your past. Sure, you did those things in your past, but they do not define you because your identity should be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you today, what do you identify with? And before you answer that, Think of this, what actions, what, what things do you do that affirm that identity? You might say, well, I, I, I identify with Christ. Well, what do you do on the weekends? Will we find you here in church? Will we find you on Friday nights at the bar with everybody else that's unsaved? Would we go to your house and will we find a, a, a good, clean atmosphere? When we walk through and, and look at your television and see that there's holy things being played, that there's an edifying spirit within your home, we might say we identify with Christ, but do our actions match our identification? And so the Romans today, they understand the importance of identifying. They're, they're, he, he's, he's, he's really trying to uh, speak to them here about this. In my wallet, I have a license. And uh, when I moved here, I was very quick to uh, no longer identify with Texas. Glory, hallelujah. Uh, I'm in the promised land now. Uh, said no one ever, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, Texas is hot. It's, it's, it's huge. Everything's bigger in Texas. It's pretty accurate. Uh, but as soon as I moved here, I said, you know what? I no longer pay taxes to Texas. 
I no longer vote in Texas. I no longer have a job in Texas. When I moved to Connecticut, I switched my license. I switched my residency. I switched everything over because I now identify as a Connecticut. I don't even know how you say it, right? What are you? I'm from Connecticut. That's all they say. They don't say I'm a Connecticut in, like a Texan or a Pennsylvanian. What is it here? Uh, y'all don't have uh, something special that you brand yourself with. Connecticut in? Oh, now we're starting a controversy here, right? We participate in the things that we identify with. And so I encourage you tonight, my friend, evaluate your heart and see, are you identifying, do the actions that you do identify you with the Lord Jesus Christ? Not only do we see the reminder of identification, but we see, secondly, the reminder of instruments. Look at verse number 13 with me. I know I'm not doing this whole passage justice. There's so much uh, depth to this, and I'm trying to make it as simplified as possible so we can grasp these. But verse number 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Before we dive any deeper, there's a few words that just jump out at me when I read this. One of the major words is instruments. Um, in in uh, when I think of instruments, I think of of course my musical background. I think of a piano. I think of uh, a violin. Those are instruments, right? But there's other instruments that are out there. You have tools like carpentry tools. Those are instruments. You have a hammer. That is an instrument. Uh, you have uh, all different kinds of items that can be classified as instruments. And in, in Rome, in the Roman world, right? Again, we're talking about things that Paul is really trying to hone in on Roman people. In Roman world, I believe Paul could have been referencing instruments as tools. Rome was able to build such magnificent magnificent structures, could they not? Structures like the Roman Colosseum. Perhaps uh, other, uh, other, uh, other structures like uh, the Pantheon. But in both of these, as they're building these uh, structures with instruments, we know that the outcome from these two structures was unrighteousness. Right? The Colosseum, what was that used for? I know it's a little uh, later after these passages of Scripture, but I wonder, I just wonder if perhaps there was already some buzz going around uh, the city of Rome that, hey, in, in just a couple years, there's going to be this Colosseum built, and it's going to be for our entertainment, uh, but it's also going to be for the Christians' demise. It's going to be for their destruction. They would use these instruments to build these amazing buildings, but they were being used for unrighteous acts. The Pantheon. What does Pantheon mean? Many, many gods. It was the worship of many gods. Day in and day out, there would be immorality. There would be heresy. There would be a complete uh, uh, defiance against the God who created us. These instruments used uh, to accomplish unrighteous works. But you know what? In Scripture, that same word, instruments, is also used in other passages of Scripture in reference to weapons or armor. Think about that. These Roman centurions, these Roman armies would march in 
They were powerful things. They accomplished what their leader had intended. They would, they would, uh, uh, essentially change cultures, change whole cities. How fitting, considering these great armies of the Roman Empire. But God would, uh, but God would uh, appeal to a higher power. Paul would uh, point the point uh, uh, all of these weapons, all these instruments, to God Himself. And uh, and so I want to take just a step back here and just talk about instruments just a little bit, a little bit more because this is very important. In order for instruments to be used, in order for a hammer, a violin, a guitar, a piano, in order for them to be used, they must have somebody that uses them. Hammers do not just stand up by themselves and start hammering nails. Violins do not just start randomly playing. They have to have somebody that picks them up, somebody that uses them. Somebody may jump on the piano and do a great job. We don't say, wow, what a great piano. We say, wow, what a great pianist. And as we're instruments today, this is a very important point because uh, if we want to have change that takes place in our life, uh, we have to give our hearts to the Lord, which is leading us to our next point here uh, about instruments. And not only does that word instruments jump out at me, but that word yield jumps out at me. That word yield means to present yourself to God. It's the same word that's used in Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You present your bodies as an instrument to God. That you allow God to use you to accomplish a great and mighty work. And many times we turn ourselves over to sin. We turn ourselves over to be an instrument of unrighteousness. We hurt a fellow believer with our mouths. We, 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 uh, uh, we accomplish uh, lust and we fulfill the lusts of our own flesh. And we hurt uh, our spouse. We hurt the people that are closest to us. Why? Because we are fulfilling unrighteousness. We are allowing sin to use us as instruments to accomplish an evil work. If we want change to take place, it must start from the heart before we can uh, have change in our actions. And so, the, what the Apostle Paul here is laying out to us is not only do you identify with Christ, but you should be an instrument that God uses. And as that passage of Scripture says in Romans 12.1, we present our bodies a living sacrifice. The altar stands open. And every day, we must come to the altar of sacrifice. Alive. And we lay ourselves down once again in the morning. God, use me. God, I am your living sacrifice today. This is what happens with living sacrifices, right? This is what, this is what the nation of Israel could not understand. Because all of the sacrifices that were done in the Levitical day, under the law, they were all dead sacrifices. Right? That was the first step. They would slay the lamb. They would slay the goat. They would slay the animal that they were sacrificing. God does not intend us to die on this altar. He intends for us to live. But we need to make the daily choice to get back on the altar. 
God, use me again. God, use me again. God, use me again. God, use me again. Listen, we have some incredible opportunities coming up in here in the life of our church. Some phenomenal opportunities. I am so excited for God, uh, how He has used this church. I reflect just the other day of being here two years and knowing where we were when I got here, and now uh, seeing where God has used the leadership of this church, and where He's used the people within the church to accomplish His mighty work. And boy, it is marvelous in our eyes, is it not? And we'll get in involved, and we'll say, I want to help with the Spanish ministry. Or I want to help get the word out about Easter. Or I want to get involved in choir. But listen... You can make that, that decision now, but, but listen, remember you're a living sacrifice. And living sacrifices have a tendency to get back off the altar. And so you might say, I'm, I'm all excited for Easter, I'm all excited for our outreach, I'm all excited for the music, but then after Easter, guess what? We have the tendency to get off the altar and say, I don't want to be involved in that anymore. But we need, to, we need to come to God. We need to yield. We need to present ourselves to God on a daily basis and say, God, use me, use me, use me. May I be an instrument of righteousness. Not only do we see the reminder of identification, the reminder of, of instruments, but finally here, the reminder of imprisonment. Look at verse number 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Everyone serves something. Everyone serves something. We were created to serve. Before sin even took place, God put us in the garden to serve. To dress the garden and to keep the garden. We are created for that work, but we're also created that in everything we do, we need to do uh, for the glory of God. It is built into the fabric of mankind. But we don't naturally, because of sin, because of our nature, that messes things up and we no longer serve God the way that we should. And as a result, we end up serving other things. It's not the fact that we don't serve anymore, it's the fact we don't serve the right things. And so tonight, I want you to see that throughout the course of history, and again, I, I'm, I'm trying to show you some comparisons of, of uh, what the, the people in Rome would, would read when they read into this, and common things that were in their life. Uh, imprisonment, slavery, all of those things were commonplace of that day. And we look back at our, our nation's history and we have a dark day of uh, many dark days of slavery and it's a terrible thing. Uh, but outside the walls of America, so to speak, there are other countries where people are still enslaved. They are enslaved to cruel masters. Uh, we see uh, human trafficking is on the rise. We see, uh, we, I, I just saw a post not too long ago of somebody who was standing up in South Korea and they were overlooking the demilitarized zone into North Korea. And to think today there are people that have never heard the name of Christ. 
to think today that they are enslaved to uh, false media that tells them that there is, there is no better world than outside of North Korea. There's people that believe that the horrible life they live is the best there is. And that's what they're programmed to think. But we go back 2,000 years and Again, slavery and, and all of these things, while they're horrible acts, in a sense, they were commonplace back then. In fact, even one of our passages, or one of our books of the Bible is about a slave. Philemon. And, and, and so, uh, we can, uh, take a look back at that and we can, uh, we, we see that, um, uh, that, that, that imprisonment is a horrible thing and, and yet many of us live enslaved to sin. As I mentioned, you, you will serve somebody. Make no doubt about it. You will serve somebody. But who will your master be? You no longer have to be under the power of sin. You no longer have to be enslaved to sin. You have freedom. That freedom comes through Christ. I rejoice in the passages of Scripture that I'm about to read. And I'm encouraged that I no longer have to serve sin here. In John chapter 8, verse number 36, uh, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. No ifs, ands, or buts. You are free from the taskmaster of sin. You are free from the destruction. You're free from the bondage. But you have a choice. 1 Corinthians 5, 15-57 O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came, and in just a few moments, we're about to partake in remembering what He did for us. As we come to this very reverent time, I pray, I trust, that you will allow the Holy Spirit of God to knock on every chamber of your heart, to go in every closet of your heart, to remove that bondage, to remove that sin that you've harbored, to remove the sin that to you has become commonplace. And I trust that through the purity of the Spirit, through the holiness of God, as we look to Him, as the template, as as the absolute truth, that He will show us these things just a few uh, weeks ago, I was working on my basement. Many of you know that we, uh, we signed the paperwork back about a year ago, a uh, year and a month ago for our house, and we we're so thankful we started to uh, move in. And my wife, she was, uh, she was uh, I guess, you know, about 12, 12 months uh, uh, pregnant with uh, Danielle, and uh, we move into this house, and, and uh, what's that? What did I say? Nine months. Yeah, nine months. Nine months. Okay. <laughs> Twelve months. Wow, that's really over. Uh, okay, nine months. Excuse me. I just had to make sure you're paying attention. Okay. <laughs> Says every pastor, right, when they have a slip of the tongue. But uh, nine months pregnant with Danielle, and and I was doing some painting around the house. I want to make sure that the house was perfect, and and uh, that we move in, and that there's just no stress. We don't have to paint around furniture. We just have the, all the walls painted. I go down in the basement, I start cleaning the paintbrushes, and all of a sudden water just starts coming up from a drain. 
and just everywhere. There's paint water everywhere. And I start exploring. I start digging up some of the uh, laminate. And I pull that up and I see there's just mold all over. And I go a little bit deeper into the subfloor and I see there's mold on that. So much so that the boards are, are easily just breaking, just shredding. And, uh, and I'm thinking, what did I just get into, right? I always tried patching up the laminate and just, just put it all back together and uh, pretend like nothing happened. That would be what some of our hearts like to do when we come confronted with sin. Just pretend like there's nothing there. Just go on with our daily lives. But I began to pull up that flooring. I began to get that all out. And make sure that there's no, there's no mold, there's no uh, disease, there's no uh, more things in that floor that's going to uh, negatively impact us. And then I began to build that floor back up. After cleaning it all out and getting it all uh, ready, I began to lay the subfloor again. And I remember laying out these, uh, these long boards, the plywood there, and putting it on the ground. And I had to make some cuts. And I didn't have a straight edge. So what I did is I just grabbed a board that seemed pretty pretty uh, straight to me. And I laid it down on the board. I took a pencil and I marked all the way across it. I began to run that board through the table saw and stayed very close to that line. And finally laid the board down and there was a space this wide on one side. And then it was flush against the wall on the other. And I found this out, that there was the, the template that I used, the straight edge that I used, actually wasn't straight at all. It ended up coming at a, an angle. And listen, if we use a template of somebody else as our straight edge of what is right and what is wrong, it's going to be skewed. But if we use the Holy Spirit of God... If we use the word of God that is true, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Listen, God's going to deal with us exactly where we need it. He's going to hit us right between the eyes. So in closing tonight, I pray that you will not look to a person, you will not look to your own opinion of what is right and wrong, you will not look to these things for the removal of sin, but you'll look to God. And you'll let Him search you. And you'll let Him show you things that you need to improve on. Christian, I ask and remind you tonight that God has paved a way for you to experience freedom from sin. Allow His Spirit to search through you and reveal to you where sin resides in your heart. Get it out. Say, not in my house. And live the victorious Christian life this evening. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's continue with our heads bowed and eyes closed. What a great truth was preached this evening. Why don't you take a moment where you are and just ask God to show you what sin you've allowed into the closet of your heart and what it's doing to you. Sin comes in and it steals, it kills, and it destroys. All of the things that Pastor Andrew said about sin, the death it brings, it alters many things, including our destiny. Some of us will never reach the location that God would have for us because sin has altered the course of where God would have us to go.
until we deal with it and confess it and forsake it and yield to the Spirit of God, we cannot be used by Him properly. As God's putting His finger on something in your heart, why don't you ask God to help you to deal with that fully and eradicate that from your life?